Our sermon text this morning is Genesis chapter 14, verses 17 to 24. Genesis chapter 14, verses 17 to 24. And before we read that, we'll pray and ask the Lord's blessing. Please join me in prayer. Our Father in heaven, we, your people, seek now to worship you, sitting under the reading of your word and the teaching thereby. I pray, Father, that you would give me the words to say, Let me not speak according to the wisdom of men nor the doctrine of devils, but, Father, let me speak by the power of your Holy Spirit according to your holy scriptures. And may we all be given ears that hear, eyes that see, and hearts that understand and obey. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Genesis chapter 14, starting at verse 17. After his return from the defeat of Chedorlaomer, and the kings who were with him, the king of Sodom went out to meet him at the valley of Shaveh, that is, the king's valley. And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God most high. And he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram by God most high, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be God most high, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And Abram gave him a tenth of everything. And the king of Sodom said to Abram, Give me the persons, but take the goods for yourself. But Abram said to the king of Sodom, I have lifted my hand to the Lord, God most high, possessor of heaven and earth, that I would not take a thread or a sandal strap or anything that is yours, lest you should say, I have made Abram rich. I will take nothing but what the young men have eaten and the share of the men who went with me. Let Aner, Eskol and Memory take their share. Amen. May God bless his word to us. Now, last time we were in this passage, we looked at it basically as a part of the book of Genesis and the continuing narrative of the life of Abram, the father of the faithful. And I mentioned there that we would have to take this passage again and look particularly at the priest, Melchizedek, priest of God Most High, A very interesting figure he is. He's not of the covenant family. We're not told anything about him. As as we read earlier in the book of Hebrews, we're not told about his genealogy, his descent, father, mother, life, death. We know nothing of him. Apart from the fact that he was king of Salem, probably king of what would later be called Jerusalem. He was king of Salem He was recognised as a priest of God Most High. He had fellowship with Abram. He blessed Abram and Abram recognised his priesthood and paid to him a tithe. He gave him a tenth. Yet this priesthood of the order of Melchizedek, this priest Melchizedek becomes very important in Scripture, becomes very important to you and I. We're told that our Lord Jesus is a priest after the order of Melchizedek, that he is our priest. Melchizedek is the type and Jesus is what is called the anti-type or the fulfilment of the type. Melchizedek gets mentioned again in Psalm 110 and then gets, as we've read, an extended mention in the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapters 4 into Hebrews chapter 5 and then picked up again in Hebrews chapter 6 right through to the end of Hebrews chapter 7. So you've got 
Genesis, Psalm 110, the book of Hebrews. And our Lord Jesus Christ, our Saviour, the Son of God, has been granted a priesthood in the order of Melchizedek. And so basically what I wanted today, seeing as though we, we looked, as I said, at this passage last time as part of the narrative of the life of Abram's life, what I wanted to do today was study the idea of the priesthood, our great high priest, the Lord Jesus, and what exactly that means to us as Christians. We need to first of all ask the question, what is a priest? What does a priest do? To answer that, we need to go to the book of Exodus. So if you turn in your Bibles to the book of Exodus, I want you to go to Exodus and chapter 28. Now, I'm sure you're aware that a priest in fulfilling his role as a priest, and this is a priest according to the Old Testament law, that a priest was one who made sacrifices, made offerings, who prayed on behalf of the people. A priest was charged with making sure that the people were taught the law and that the law was enforced. The priest managed, as it were, the things of the temple, and the temple was, in a way, the seat of government in the nation of Israel. It's where the genealogies were kept. Attached to the genealogies were the ownership of land. If you go back, if we, I'm sorry, if we were to go forward to the book of Joshua, you would see their records of which clan got which land. All of that was all administered, as it were, by the priesthood. Though there was always and only ever one high priest at any one time, with, ex- with a few exceptions, there were many, many priests because the sons of Aaron were a family of Israelites. Like any other family of Israelites, they married, they had children. But the priesthood was inherited by the eldest son in a continuous line from Aaron on down, unless God himself intervened and through providence, uh, well, we know what happened through providence. God took out some of those sons of Aaron and we could imagine others along the way. God took them out. God God killed them, put them to death for sinning against God and through sinning against their priesthood. But in Exodus chapter 28, there, there are things told to us about the priesthood. We'll start at verse 1. Now, this is Moses being told to, as it were, prepare Aaron for the priesthood. Verse 1, Then bring near to you Aaron your brother and his sons with him from among the people of Israel to serve me as priests. Aaron and Aaron's sons, Nadab and Abihu, Eleazar and Ithmar. And you shall make holy garments for Aaron your brother for glory and for beauty. You shall speak to all the skillful whom I have filled with a spirit of skill that they make, that they make, that they make Aaron's garments to consecrate him for my priesthood. These are the garments they shall make. A breastpiece, an ephod, a robe, a coat of checker work, a turban, and a sash. They shall make holy garments for Aaron your brother and his sons to serve me as priests. They shall receive gold, blue, and purple, and scarlet yarns, and fine twined linen. And they shall make the ephod of gold, of blue and purple, and scarlet yarns, and of fine twined linen, skillfully worked. It shall have two shoulder pieces attached to its two edges, so that it may be joined together. 
and the skillfully woven band on it shall be made like it and be of one piece with it, of gold, blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twined linen. You shall take two onyx stones and engrave on them the names of the sons of Israel, six of their names on the one stone and the names of the remaining six on the other stone in the order of their birth. As a jeweller engraves signets, so shall you engrave the two stones with the names of the sons of Israel. You shall enclose them in settings of gold filigree, and you shall set the two stones on the shoulder pieces of the ephod as stones of remembrance for the sons of Israel. And Aaron shall bear their names before the Lord on his two shoulders for remembrance. You shall make settings of gold filigree and two chains of pure gold twisted like cords and you shall attach the corded chains to the settings. You shall make a breastpiece of judgment in skilled work in the style of the ephod you shall make it of gold, blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twined linen shall you make it. It shall be square and doubled, a span its length and a span its breadth. You shall set it in you shall set in it four rows of stones. A row of sardius, topaz and carbuncle shall be the first row. And the second row, an emerald, a sapphire and a diamond. And the third row, a jacinth, an agate and an amethyst. And the fourth row, a beryl, an onyx and a jasper. They shall be set in gold filigree. There shall be twelve stones with their names according to the names of the sons of Israel. They shall be like signets, each engraved with its name for the twelve tribes. You shall make for the breastpiece twisted chains like cords of pure gold, and you shall make for the breastpiece two rings of gold, and put the two rings on the two edges of the breastpiece, and you shall put two cords of gold in the two rings at the edges of the breastpiece. The two ends of the two cords you shall attach to the two settings of filigree and so attach it in front to the shoulder pieces of the ephod. You shall make two rings of gold and put them at the two ends of the breastpiece on its inside edge next to the ephod. And you shall make two rings of gold and attach them in front to the lower part of the two shoulder pieces of the ephod at its seam above the skillfully woven band of the ephod. And they shall bind the breastpiece by its rings to the rings of the ephod with a lace of blue so that it may lie on the skillfully woven band of the ephod so that the breastpiece shall not come loose from the ephod so Aaron shall bear the names of the sons of Israel in the breastpiece of judgment on his heart when he goes into the holy place to bring them to regular remembrance before the Lord okay we'll stop reading there there are two things that I want us to see there particularly just going back to an in Exodus chapter 28 28 and verse 12, Exodus 28, verse 12. You shall set the two stones on the shoulder pieces of the ephod as the stones of remembrance for the sons of Israel. Now notice this, and Aaron shall bear their names before the Lord on his two shoulders for remembrance. And then drop back down to Exodus 28, 29. So Aaron shall bear the names of the sons of Israel in the breastpiece of judgment on his heart when he goes into the holy place to bring them to regular remembrance before the Lord. Okay, what's Aaron doing in his ministry as a high priest? He is to make the people remember the Lord and in prayer, he is to help the Lord to remember the people. Now, am I saying that the Lord forgets the people? That's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying anything quite that silly. I'm saying that he is, as it were, to be the two-way conduit between the people 
and God. He brings the word of God to the people, the commandment of God to the people. He, he offers the sacrifices appointed by God on behalf of the people and he brings the people to the presence of God in intercession. He carries them. It's interesting. It says he bears them on his shoulder and he carries them over his heart. He bears them on his shoulder and he carries them over his heart. Now, shepherds, you, you often see the picture of the ancient shepherds would carry the lambs over their shoulders. Aaron is the priest is to make intercession for the people. Aaron as the priest in the sacrifices and the intercessions is, as it were, turning aside the judgment of God from God's covenant people. But as we have read, first of all in the book of Hebrews, and we're going to have a look at a few other things, as we have read, the Aaronic priesthood was not a perfect priesthood. Aaron, if I would put it this way, was a man like unto us with sin. And some of you who are more familiar with the scripture would realise what I'm doing there because the scripture also tells us that Jesus was a man like unto us without sin. Aaron and his sons, his family, were men like unto us, even including sin. They were not perfect Priests. They could not be perfect priests. They were, in a, way, in a manner of speaking, according to the book of Hebrews, temporarily given priesthood throughout their generations until such time as God called an end to that old covenant priesthood. They died. Each high priest died and did not three days later walk out of the grave. They died and they, they stayed in, as the, as the Jews would say, Sheol, awaiting the time of judgment. They died. The Lord Jesus, our high priest, died, but by the power of an indestructible life, we read in the book of Hebrews, on the third day he rose again. And we know that he has ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. The priesthood of Aaron was bound to fail through the weakness of Aaron and his descendants. It was bound to fail. I mean, Aaron's sons, almost immediately, we're not going to trace it out here today, but the book of Leviticus, what happens? They offer strange fire before the Lord, two of his sons, and they end up dead for their troubles. They, they messed up the order of worship. I mean, imagine that. We, we've got an order of service here. I sent Joel an email last night telling him what I wanted, telling him how we're going to do things here today, and Joel has prepared accordingly. Imagine, Joel, you messed up the order of service and something like lightning with flames of fire burst out from the pulpit and fried him where he sits. And I'd be saying, well, ladies and gentlemen, we might not be singing the final hymn. We've lost the piano player. That won't happen, will it? We don't have an old covenant priesthood. We don't actually have the old covenant ark of the covenant. The Lord Jesus is our priest, our great high priest, and he is merciful and gracious. He remembers our frame. He knows that we are dust. He has died for our sins. And if we mess up the order of service, we're not expecting to be struck by lightning bolts anytime soon. 
And if my grandson keeps yelling back at me, I'm not expecting any great vengeance from God to fall upon him at this moment either. We have a merciful high priest. Yet the priesthood of Aaron and his sons, it was not perfect and they could not make perfect intercession. Though they were appointed to carry the people of Israel upon their shoulders and over their hearts into the very presence of God, yet they could not ultimately turn aside the judgment of God. They could, could not ultimately deliver salvation. Turn up, turn in your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 2. If we move forward through Jewish history, we have the Jews rescued from the land of Egypt. God setting up their covenant relationship with God through the law as delivered by Moses and through the priesthood as administered by Aaron. They go into the promised land. That's the book of Joshua. And then they start to drift from their original commitments and their original um, commandments. And that's the book of Judges. And then God appoints a prophet, Samuel. Samuel was not of the priestly family. There was an old priest, his name was Eli, and his children were wicked. They were functioning as priests and they were wicked and doing evil. The scripture tells us that they were eating the food that was offered to the Lord and in some cases they were sleeping with the women who came to the temple. I mean, this is outright wickedness, total and utter corruption. We're going to start reading here at 1 Samuel Chapter 2, verse 27. 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 27. There came a man of God to Eli, a prophet. There came a man of God to Eli and said to him, Thus says the Lord, Did I indeed reveal myself to the house of your father when they were in Egypt, subject to the house of Pharaoh? Did I choose him out of all the tribes of Israel to be my priest, to go up to my altar, to burn incense, to wear an ephod before me? I gave to the house of your father all my offerings by fire from the people of Israel. Why then do you scorn my sacrifices and my offerings that I commanded for my dwelling and honour your sons above me by fattening yourselves on the choicest parts of every offering of my people Israel? Therefore, the Lord, the God of Israel, declares, I promise that your house and the house of your father should go in and out before me forever. But now the Lord declares, far be it from me. For those who honour me, I will honour, and those who despise me shall be lightly esteemed. Behold, the days are coming when I will cut off your strength and the strength of your father's house, so that there will not be an old man in your house. Then in distress you will look with envious eye on all the prosperity that shall be bestowed upon Israel, and there shall not be an old man in your house forever. The only one of you whom I shall not cut off from my altar shall be spared to weep his eyes out to grieve his heart, and all the descendants of your house shall die by the sword of men. And this shall come upon your two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, shall, shall be, sorry, and this that shall come upon your two sons, two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, shall be the sign to you. Both of them shall die on the same day. Now here, verse 35, and I will raise up for myself a faithful priest, who shall do according to what is in my heart and in my mind. And I will build him a sure house, and he shall go in and out before my anointed forever. 
And everyone who is left in your house shall come to implore him for a piece of silver or a loaf of bread and shall say, please put me in one of the priest's places that I may eat a morsel of bread. Okay, let's look carefully at verse 35. And I will raise up for myself a faithful priest who shall do according to what is in my heart and in my mind, and I will build him a sure house and he shall go in and out before my anointed forever. Carefully understand this. Think carefully about what is being said here in that particular verse of Scripture. First of all, in the book of Samuel, 2 Samuel we're going to turn to in a moment, in the books of Samuel, who gets promised a sure house? Who wants to build the temple? And God says, no, you can't build the temple. You've shed too much blood, but I'm going to build your house. You don't build my house, I build your house. And that's King David. God has said here that he is striking down eventually, at some point in time, he is striking down the Aaronic priesthood. He has said here that the proof of this will be seen to Eli in that his own two sons will die. If we read on in 1 Samuel, we would see that that is surely what happened but that he will build this priest, this faithful priest, a sure house, and he shall go in and out before my anointed forever. Now, there's a lot to unpack here, an awful lot. Who is the anointed? First of all, in immediate context, who is the anointed? David, King David. He's God's anointed king. The blessing of the Holy Spirit is poured out on David. David in Psalm 23 speaks of his cup overflowing. The Lord has anointed him in the presence of his enemies. It's David. Turn to 2 Samuel chapter 7. We'll pick it up at verse 5. As I've already said, David wanted to build the Lord a house. But the Lord says to David, no, I'll build you a house. Let's hear it. Verse five. Go and tell my servant David, thus says the Lord, would you build me a house to dwell in? I have not lived in a house since the day I brought up the people of Israel from Egypt to this day, but I have been moving about in a tent for my dwelling. In all places where I have moved with all the people of Israel, did I speak a word with any of the judges of Israel whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, saying, why have you not built me a house of cedar? Now, therefore, thus you shall say to my servant David, thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep, that you should be a prince over my people Israel. And I have been with you wherever you went and have cut off all your enemies from before you. And I will make for you a great name like the name of the great ones of the earth. And I will appoint a place for my people Israel and will plant them so that they may dwell in their own place and be disturbed no more. And violent men shall afflict them no more as formerly from the time that I appointed judges over my people Israel. And I will give you rest from all your enemies. Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. 
When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the sons of men. But my steadfast love will not depart from him as I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before you. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever. In accordance with all these words and in accordance with all this vision, Nathan spoke to David. So 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 35 Eli is told that the Lord is going to bring forth a faithful priest who will do according to all that is in the Lord's heart and mind and he will build him a sure house and he shall go in and out before my anointed, before my Messiahed one forever. Okay, so we're getting, what you're getting here sort of mixed up in all this language is basically two time frames, an immediate fulfilment and a Distant fulfilment in the future from when this was spoken. What's the immediate fulfilment? The immediate fulfilment is David had a son named Solomon. Solomon built the house of the Lord and Solomon was disciplined by the Lord. But there's a promise to David that of his seed, of his offspring would be one who would reign forever, who would have a sure house. What was one of the titles of the Lord Jesus when he walked the earth? What did the blind man cry out when he was seeking healing? Jesus, son of David. Jesus, son of David, heal me. Jesus, the Messiah, is the son of David. And he is the sure house of David that will never, ever fail. Here's the thing. In this son of David is not only the fulfilment of the promise of a saviour, there is the fulfilment of the promise of a high priest who will never turn aside, who will do according to all that is in God's heart and in God's mind. A sure house, and he shall go in and out before my anointed forever, it says in 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 35. Let's have a look at a few other spots in the Holy Scriptures. I want to turn us to the book of Isaiah, chapter 55. Actually, sorry, no, we'll stay in 2 Samuel. That's the next one. 2 Samuel, chapter 22. So move forward in 2 Samuel to chapter 22. This is David's song of deliverance. You'll also find it in the book of Psalms. But we're just going to look at one part of it. It's a long psalm, a long song. Start reading at verse 50, the second last verse of 2 Samuel chapter 22. For this I will praise you, O Lord, among the nations and sing praises to your name. Great salvation he brings to his king and shows steadfast love to his anointed, to David and his offspring forever. Great salvation he brings to his king and shows steadfast love to his anointed. The word there is Messiah to David and his offspring forever. Keep that one in your mind. Now we jump to Isaiah chapter 55. I realise I'm sort of loading up a lot here, but I think it's important, and if you can sort of either take note or listen again later, you you might see what it is that we're trying to accomplish here or, or trying to understand in Scripture. Isaiah chapter 55, God speaking through the prophet Isaiah. It's a very famous line there at verse 1. Come, everyone who thirsts. 
come to the waters. And he who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Salvation is a gift, my friends. You know, it's expressed here as a purchase that you don't buy. Come, buy. With no money, you've got no righteousness. You've got no coinage with God. Yet it's there. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labour for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me. Hear that your soul may live and I will make with you an everlasting covenant. My steadfast, sure love for David. The offer of salvation and what's it being called here? An everlasting covenant. The covenant of steadfast, sure love for David. My friends, we often speak of the fact that we are, by faith, the offspring of Abram. Abraham, we surely and truly are. My friends, we're also the offspring and the children of David through Jesus Christ our Lord. He was the son of David. In a manner of speaking, we are David's anointed offspring. In a manner of speaking. Not that we get to claim any great royalty on this earth, not that we get to claim that we have a throne upon this earth, but in terms of the descendants of our faith. You know, people get obsessed with genealogies and they like to go back through their genealogies and grandfather, great-grandfather, etc., etc. and people look for famous people. And, you know, my, my dad once, you know, and he once got out a book. It was a really, really old military book of officers in the, in, in the English army, way back in the colonial times. And there he found some, some officer whose, name, whose surname happened to be Clements. Now, I don't know whether you could actually prove we had any family attachment to this guy or not, but my dad was extremely proud. Look, here's a Clements in the British army. He had a commission. He was a colonel or something like that. You know, this obsession with genealogy, well, my friends... The only genealogy that counts is the genealogy of faith. In the end, it's the genealogy of faith. And here are the people that we can trace our genealogy through. The Lord Jesus himself, Jesus of Nazareth. We're not in Adam. We are in Christ. King David, who had a steadfast and sure covenant with God, an everlasting covenant of steadfast love. Abram, all the way back, all the way back to God himself. That's, that's the genealogy that counts. And my friends, in a manner of speaking, we're the children of these men of faith with whom God has established his covenant. And the promise in First Samuel chapter 2, verse 35, was that there would be a priest who would do according to God's heart and mind. He would be built a sure house and he will go in and out before my anointed forever, forever. And my friends, you and I, we are of the anointed. We're not messiahs in terms of saving We have no power to save another person. We can't purchase a soul. We can't redeem a soul for God. We can't even redeem our own. (coughs) But the gift of God's Holy Spirit has been poured out upon his church. Jesus is the Son of God, 
Jesus is the great high priest. Jesus is the king. Yet the scripture tells us that we who are in Christ are sons of God. Many, many sons of God. It tells us in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 5, for example, that we are a holy priesthood. In another place, we're told that we're kings and priests. You see what Jesus is, we are. Not to the same degree, we're not divine. We're not eternally begotten sons of God, without beginning, without end. We're not pure spirit. We're not the creators of the universe. We're not the upholders of the universe. We're none of those things. Don't ever, don't ever think that we're any of those things. We're not. We're creatures. But we have been in Christ created after the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. And this Melchizedekian priesthood, a priesthood where it doesn't matter who the father or the mother is, it doesn't matter when one lived or one died. This priesthood, which the author of the book of Hebrews says goes on forever because we're not told that he ever died. It's an eternal priesthood, ultimately fulfilled in the Lord Jesus Christ. My friends, you and I, by faith, according to the will of God, we share in it. We share in it. We are the people of God. And if you want to think of it, we have an eternal priest who goes in and out before us forever. The Lord Jesus Christ. He's our eternal priest. We are his anointed people. My friends, if you are in Christ, you are in God. If you are in Christ, you are in the heavenly court. In places where there was a true royalty where a king or a queen ruled with genuine power. You didn't just walk into their presence. You had to have someone get you through the door. You needed a member of that court to get you into the presence of royalty, to introduce you, to introduce the matter that you wanted to bring before the king or the queen. You did not have direct access. But my friends... We're in the heavenly court. Even now, we're in the heavenly court. When we pray, when we offer up our prayers and our intercessions, we're praying in the presence of our God. It's as though we're speaking directly to the creator of the universe. And we are. This priesthood of the Lord Jesus Christ has granted priesthood to you and I. Our prayers are not a waste of words, nor a waste of time. And our prayers are being heard and being answered constantly, though we do not know it. We pray according to the commandment of God and God hears our prayers. My friends, we not only have a great high priest, but we ourselves have become a holy priesthood. After the order of Melchizedek. After the order of Melchizedek. And though we're nobodies, and though we're not literally the children and the offspring of Aaron, and though we can't trace our genealogy back to the Jewish nation, 
Yet we are sons of God. We are sons of God. Think of, for example, John chapter 14, verse 2. Turn there if you like. Famous passage. It's one of people's favourites. John chapter 14, verse 1. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you? Would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? God's house. God's temple. The words were interchangeable throughout Scripture. The house of God, the temple of God, the temple of God, the house of God. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. The temple was filled with rooms. The temple was a multi-storey building inside. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am you may be also. And you know the way to where I'm going. Our priest in the temple. You know, this is the picture that you're given. Our high priest is in the temple, and in that temple... He's preparing a place for us. It's the picture in your mind. Now, it's not the temple in Jerusalem. It's the heavenly temple. You know, the one that the scripture calls the real temple because the temple in Jerusalem was only ever a copy of the heavenly temple. The Lord Jesus is there speaking from his priesthood. In my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? From our passage in the book of Genesis chapter 14, we're introduced, as I said, to this man called Melchizedek, king of peace, king of righteousness, a priest, one who the book of Hebrews tells us was greater than Aaron, without father or mother or genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but resembling the son of God, he continues a priest forever. And he was a type for our Lord Jesus Christ. And our Lord Jesus Christ is actually the one who makes us a holy priesthood. My friends, we, I know if, if, you, if you sit here and you tell me, you know, I'm a Christian and I feel entirely insignificant in this world and I feel that my life is a waste of time and I feel that nothing is being accomplished and I feel this and I feel that, I can agree with you. I know the feeling. I know the feeling. People aren't flocking to hear the word of God. People aren't flocking and coming to the church seeking the presence of God. The nation seems to have gone mad and is bent on self-destruction and would rather worship anything other than God. I know all that. I see all that. And if you say, you know, I feel like I'm no more than a speck of dust, well, Scripture says he knows that we are dust. He knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. Look, in a manner of speaking, if you look at it in a certain way, everything that we're saying, everything that you say there, in a manner of speaking, is true. Who can claim to be important? Who can claim to be a great one on the earth? Who can claim to be irreplaceable in this earth? The answer is none of us, not one of us. But... We've been purchased by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
the, the steadfast, sure love of God has been settled upon us. We've been indwelled and empowered by God's Holy Spirit. We've been made God's people upon this earth. We are, in a manner of speaking, God's priests. Not that we can offer sacrifices other than the sacrifice of praise, as the scripture says. But we are, in a manner of speaking, God's high priests upon this earth. The church is the household of God. God's servants are the people whom God has appointed to intercede, to carry people into his presence over our hearts. My friends, we actually, on the cosmic scale, in the eyes of God, we're precious. Every hair on our heads is numbered. Every breath that we take is known. Every word that we say is listened to. Every thought of our minds is known. We can look at the universe and say, yes, I'm insignificant. Yes, it's true. But, you know, you look at a child and a child has a little toy and that toy is nothing, yet they're absolutely wrapped up in that toy. They love that toy. They always go back to that toy. They always want that toy. That's nothing compared to the love that God has for his people through Jesus Christ our Lord. Nothing. And God's love for his people is not just love for a whole group and you happen to be lucky to be a member of the whole group. It is certainly love for a whole group. It's love for the elect. It's love for his people. It is certainly love for all of his people as a people, as a nation, as a family, as a group. But it's not just that. It is also individual for each and every one of us. For each and every one of us. No matter how pathetic, weak, nor poor you might think you are, me included. If we are in Christ, we have been purchased with the blood of the Lamb and we have been appointed to be a nation of priests. Jesus said that no one of no no person, no man had been born of woman who was greater than John the Baptist, and John was the last of the Old Testament prophets. And he said, and even the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than John. So Abram, Abraham was born of women. And Jesus said that John was greater than Abraham. And yet John was less than the least in the kingdom of heaven. I don't know how you measure that out, how you work that out, my friends. Abraham was a man of faith, beloved by God. He gets to be called the father of the faithful. Yet we've been made priests by a priest who is in the order of Melchizedek, an unending and eternal priesthood that cannot and will not ever fail. We've been brought into the family of God. We've been made God's people. Jesus himself intercedes for us ever and always. Romans chapter 8, verse 34, who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one, and one that died more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Interceding, present tense, even now. Interceding. We can't save ourselves. We can't maintain our own salvation. If it were left up to us and our own powers, we'd all be lost and damned. But 
our high priest, the Lord Jesus, is interceding for us even now. And we should rejoice. Rejoice in that. Rejoice in that. We can't be lost. Does that mean we're free to sin as we please? Of course not. We're called to a life of holiness, of Christ-likeness, of cross-bearing. We're not called to a life of sin and wickedness. No priest was called to a life of wickedness, and when they sinned, they were punished. They're called to a life of holiness. And we will not be lost, for we have a great high priest. Always remember that, and let's close in prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you for your grace and your mercy. And we thank you for our great high priest, our saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ. He is all to us. He is our king. He is our priest. He speaks to us the very words of God. He is our brother. He is indeed our friend. Father, we thank you for the provision of salvation that we have in Jesus Christ, our Lord, and that it lacks nothing and that it is complete. Father, we pray that we would remember to rejoice, that we would remember to pray, that we would remember to be your obedient people. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.